unplugged. Oh, well. Well, what can you do? That's life sometimes. Well, again, welcome to Catch the Fire, Ottawa. Um, my name is David, as I mentioned, and uh, so excited. It's new faces today. Welcome. Um, I, I, I started a message last week, and i got to give you guys some context since there's some new people and others who weren't here last week. Um, essentially, what happened last Sunday, January 1st, 2017, our church, Catch the Fire Ottawa, became its own self-sufficient church. Um, so if you didn't know, before that, we were actually technically a campus of uh, Catch the Fire Toronto Airport, uh, which, how many of you have heard of that church? And, okay, so yeah, that was our main campus. Um, you know, helped us get started with administration and stuff. And then we, until we got our own charitable status, which we did, and we're, so we started uh, fresh. We're still Catch the Fire, of course, but all that means is we have our own charitable status and uh, we have our own board of directors and all that stuff. And so it's really a day of new beginnings. Uh, we're only about a year and a half old, but uh, it was kind of a fresh start. And so what I wanted to do uh, last week, what I started to do is to essentially give a little bit of a background. A background, what I mean by that is I wanted to answer the question, who are we? There we go. Thanks, Jennifer. Who are we as a church, as a movement, right? Because you don't know where you're going unless you know where you've come from. And, you know, the sad fact is a lot of people don't even know our history. Um, well, that's not that sad, but, you know, there's people who don't realize where we've come from. And, you know, that's a tragedy. And the reason is because in order to understand who we are, we have to know where we've come from. Right? In order to understand, because where we've come from, not only as a church, but as a movement and that sort of thing, uh, really is determined what what's in our spiritual DNA. Okay, so where we've come from is so important to understand who we are, because inevitably it's going to come out. You know, it's just who we are. It influences how we think, uh, what we're passionate about, what we signed up for. And so uh, what, what I did last week and, and what I wanted to continue doing this week is just to mention, first of all, of course, we're part of the bigger Catch the Fire family. So same values, same DNA. At the same time, Catch the Fire Ottawa, our church, is a unique expression based off of God's specific calling for us as a congregation in this region. Okay, so God has something unique he wants to do with us and through us, and it's an honor and privilege to be a part of that, right? So we should be continually seeking the Lord and asking the Holy Spirit, what is it you want us to be as a church? What unique thing do you want us to bring? Because we're all the body of Christ. We're working together with other churches, of course, to build God's kingdom. Uh, but, of course, we have a part to play, right? We're a part of the body. And so what is that? Who are we? And, and like I already said, a big part of knowing who we are is to know our history as a movement. And, you know, I uh, last week kind of mentioned, uh, you know, you could go all the way, you could trace your history all the way back to Jesus Christ, right? I mean, and so uh, I, you have to kind of pick and choose how far back to go. So last week what I did, because, uh, because of the significance of it, I went back to the 1960s in the Jesus movement, um, so, because <laughs> I went into so much detail last week, I'm only going to allude to this for the sake of people who weren't here and uh, move on today, but uh, you can get, we have a podcast, we have a website, you can get last week's message if you're interested. But, oh, that didn't, oh, that's a bummer, it didn't, uh, the formatting's all, I guess, maybe it's a Mac thing. 
uh, from PC. Anyway, that should say the Jesus movement. So we traced our, how many of you heard of the Jesus movement? Okay, good, most of us. That was a really significant revival in the 1960s, early 70s. Essentially, a whole bunch of hippies got saved. It was awesome. They, they estimate that 3 million people got saved out of that, and 85,000 from this one uh, hippie preacher named Lonnie Frisbee. And I talked about him last week, but see that picture down there, two guys' hands up? The guy on the right's Lonnie Frisbee. The guy on the left, Chuck Smith. Now... Look at Time Magazine there. Isn't that funny? The Jesus Revolution. That was actually a Time Magazine cover that, and the whole uh, issue was talking about this movement. Lonnie Frisbee, the Jesus people, Calvary Chapel, all this amazing stuff in 72. The reason it's so cool, because not only did uh, 3 million get saved, 85,000 through Lonnie Frisbee alone. Now, um, how many of you heard of Lonnie Frisbee? Okay, you who were last week should have, but if you haven't, this guy is an amazing, you should look him up. You can find him on YouTube. You can, you know, look him up. The reason is because he served as a major, 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 major catalyst of starting the Calvary Chapel movement and the Vineyard movement. Okay, like, unfortunately, he fell later in his life and kind of got written out of the history. But he was essentially the guy who introduced, quote, unquote, the Holy Spirit to the Vineyard in 1980. And you know that term, come Holy Spirit? Traces, you know that, you ever heard that, come Holy Spirit? John Wimber used to always say that. It goes back to this incident when, and I talked about this last week, when uh, Lonnie Frisbee first preached at the Vineyard in 1980 in Mother's Day, said, come Holy Spirit, essentially, and the Holy Spirit came, and it was awesome chaos that forever changed the Vineyard. But the point is, we can trace our roots all the way back to the Jesus movement, and even if you've never heard of the Jesus movement, the reason that it's, if you don't know it, uh, has impacted you is because it totally, totally, totally revolutionized contemporary worship music, okay? It, in fact, it, 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 for all intents and purposes, invented it. <laughs> what we know now is contemporary worship that every church essentially uses. You know, the CCM, that, total, that traces all the way back to the Jesus movement. That was actually started in that movement. When all these hippies started bringing the contemporary music of the time into the church, Calvary Chapel embraced it, and it went viral, <laughs> I mean, uh, you've heard of Maranth Maranatha music? It's Calvary Chapel. If you haven't heard of Calvary Chapel, BibleHub.com started by Calvary Chapel. Not very many people know of it here, but on, in California, like when we lived there, there's Calvary Chapels all over the place. They were the biggest uh, movement, uh, I think, for a while for, in terms of church plants. The reason this is significant to us is, of course, that, that it, the worship was a crucial part of that movement, and we trace our roots directly back to it, Okay. Why I say that is because the vineyard, and, and I, I, sorry, I should be brief because I talked all about this last week, but the vineyard was part of the Calvary Chapel movement. John Wimber, who was the leader of the vineyard, actually, when he started his church in 77, I believe, actually was part of Calvary Chapel. The vineyard was a, a kind of a, a part of Calvary Chapel, and then they ended up separating eventually, I think in 82. Um, but we were, we, John Wimber, and I talked about this last week, really revolutionized, right? It was a spirit movement, third wave movement, revolutionized the church in a whole bunch of different ways. One was worship. Come on, vineyard worship. Like, I guess like two of the songs we sang today were vineyard. But anyway, uh, super, I mean, even now it's still good. Like just anointed worship music uh, really made it quote unquote popular in the worldwide church. But the other way is his revelation of the kingdom. Holy Spirit come, Doing the stuff, 
equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, not just the man or woman up front doing everything, teaching everybody how to heal the sick, right? It was awesome. It was such a worldwide movement. Like I said, they called it the third wave movement, and it really impacted especially conservative evangelicals and, and that sort of thing. The people, anyway. Um, why that matters is because Catch the Fire was vineyard. <laughs> you know, did you know that Catch the Fire Toronto is, and I have that cool classic grapes up there again, Toronto Airport Vineyard. When the revival came in 94, we were a vineyard. So, uh, and John and Carol Arnett were vineyards since 88. So we trace our we're we were vineyard, you know. And so a lot of what, um, you know, the vineyard carried, what they believed in, uh, in terms of valuing worship, uh, the kingdom coming, equipping the saints for the works of the ministry, all that stuff is still part of our DNA, you know, and we love that stuff. That's what John and Carol Arnett signed up for in the 80s. And then in 96, uh, or actually it was December 95, uh, unfortunately uh, we split from the vineyard uh, because uh, John Arnett and John uh, Wimber didn't see eye to eye on some things, particularly uh, manifestations of the Spirit. Um, thank God for John and Carol Arnett. They just let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wanted, and we love that. And so, you know, they went there. Like I said last week, John Wimber said he regretted that decision uh, before he died. But, um, you know, th that's history. And then we became Catch the Fire. We started Partners in Harvest. That's our network of churches. And that's who we are now. And you guys well know the values. We went over that for three months last year and all that. But we are Catch the Fire, thank God. Uh, we just love who we are. Not anything prideful or anything. We, it's just that's what we burn for, right? The, the, the moving of the Holy Spirit, revival, worship, all the stuff that's part of our DNA. But you can see if you go back all the way to the Jesus movement, that's just part of who we are historically, right? Even though we're technically different now, Catch the Fire, verse, uh, but, but still, it's still a part of who we are, and we love it. Now, what I have down there, and I went over this in more detail last week, I believe those are five things that, th there's more than that, I'm sure, but five things I thought of that are still a part of who we are in our DNA that traces back through these spirit movements. So worship, already talked about that with the Jesus movement, vineyard worship, we love worship, we love it, and that's who we are. Um, renewal, when I say renewal here, I'm talking about John Wimber really revolutionizing uh, the way we do church, equipping the saints, healing ministry, becoming normal, all that good stuff. Church planting, that was also something that was near and dear to John Wimber. And if Catch the Fire, uh, Partners in Harvest is still really proactive in that. Uh, the prophetic. And I, I talked about this last week, but in the late 80s, early 90s, there was the prophetic movement. Revolutionized the world. And the, I say that because before that, more or less, but the prophetic was quote-unquote kind of rare. You had a prophet here, a prophet there, going to different churches, thus saith the Lord. What happened is Bob Jones, Paul Cain, all these people, Jim Gall, who were considered the Kansas City prophets, joined the vineyard, went international, equipped the people to prophesy. Now prophet, the prophetic is just normal now. It's just, right? Like it, but it, never, it wasn't. It wasn't always that way, right? But that's still a part, a really important part of, of who we are, part of our, our DNA. And then, of course, revival. Um, you know, the outpouring in 94 uh, that's still happening, the wine of the Spirit. We love it. We just ask the Holy Spirit to keep doing it. So, 
That's probably more, deep, more than I even wanted to go into. But what I wanted to say, I didn't say this last week. This is a quote by Bill Jackson. This guy wrote an amazing, amazing book on the history of the vineyard. And in fact, uh, Catch the Fire is like a third of the book because of at that time we were a vineyard and stuff. It's really good. It goes all the way back to even beyond the 70s. But I love this quote. Bill Jackson says, Looking back with fondness to the days of old is defined by our point of entry is all right as long as we don't let that nostalgia keep us from the best days that are ahead. Okay? God moves from grace to grace, faith to faith, and glory to glory. That's John 1.16, Romans 1.17, 2 Corinthians 3.18. God is on the move, and we best be moving with him. So, I, like I said, I'm an advocate of knowing our history, knowing where we've come from. At the same time, we don't want to get stuck in the past, Right? We want, the Holy Spirit's always moving, and we want to be doing what he's doing, right? And so whatever it looks like, and it's, I guarantee you, whatever it's going to look like is probably different than what we think right now, and it's probably going to be offensive, and we have to jump on board. We have to step out in faith and embrace whatever the Lord's doing next, because I talked a little bit about this last week. The unfortunate uh, trend in history is every spirit movement, quote-unquote, or revival rejects the new, next move of God. It's sad. So we just have to uh, know that and, and be humble enough to embrace whatever the new wine looks like in the coming days. Now, <clears throat> to um, help myself be short, <laughs> what I'm doing throughout this message, because I, uh, just to help me, because otherwise I'll go on and on, is every once in a while in each section, I'm just going to th- put up these sermons that are relevant from the past that if you want to hear more, you can listen to. Now, this is the message from last week. It's called, Who Are We? A Historical Look at Our Spiritual DNA. also have the, our prophetic history. This is the first message I spoke uh, when we started doing weekly meetings. Basically talking, oh, the next one, Jennifer? Talking, thank you. Talking about um, essentially the amazing prophetic, <laughs> we have a really amazing prophetic history that goes back to 1983 and beyond with Bob Jones, Paul Kane, Mike Bickle, all these people who prophesied about the coming revival in 94, and they were really specific with the dates and, and what the Lord was doing and all that. Really interesting, but if you're interested in hearing that side of things, uh, you can get that. And also, we have this book, From Here to the Nations. Jerry Steinger wrote this in her 20-year anniversary as a movement. Basic, it basically goes back to 94 and up to, to, to now, so if you're interested in our history, we have that in the bookstore at the back. Now, I also asked the question last week, what is the Holy Spirit saying to our movement now? Right, that's a good question. Um, The leaders of Catch the Fire uh, world got together last year, and they felt the Holy Spirit was emphasizing these three things in our movement. The worship, prophetic, and church planting. Now, big surprise, right? I don't think they considered it history. They just felt that's what the Spirit's saying now. But like I said, it's part of our spiritual DNA, right? All the way back to the Jesus movement. Not surprising the Holy Spirit's still uh, breathing on those things in our movement. And so as a movement in, in, worldwide, that's what they feel the Holy Spirit's emphasizing. And so they're really going for it in those three areas. And sorry if I'm going kind of quick. It's because this is review and I still want to move on. But... Then I asked the question, who are we? What is the Holy Spirit saying to our church, right? And that's, that's particularly uh, relevant to us. And I kind of already mentioned this, but God planted Catch the Fire Ottawa for a unique purpose, right? Um, we could tell you the stories, but God had this church in his 
heart for years. And in fact, it was years in the making and finally it happened. And so there's a reason God wanted Catch the Fire to be planted here in Toronto, or Toronto, sorry, Ottawa. So what is that reason? What's the purpose? What's the calling? What are, what's he saying? Now, the important thing is, is that we always stay in tune with what he's saying because he's always going to be saying, okay, I want you to do this. And it might be different even day to day, right? But there are certain things that we feel as leaders that he's saying um, to our church, um, certain values and key goals that he's been placing on our hearts, right? And these probably won't change. And, and so these, the reason this is important to, to you know, make known is because these values or goals are not unique to our church. But there are major factors that influence our overall goals, decisions, and outward practices as a church. Because inevitably what you value, what you aspire to is going to determine what, you know, you decide to do, right? They're going to influence the decisions you make and that sort of thing. And so um, what are some of the defining characteristics of Catch the Fire Ottawa? I mentioned this last week. I want to mention again, the list I'm going to give you today is not exhaustive. What I mean by that is I think I have eight things. I don't even know. But uh, we'll see in a minute. But it's not everything. It's not all of our goals and values, right? Like I said last week, you could, uh, you could probably talk to me after service, hey, you didn't have this important thing up there, and I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, right, that should be on there, right? So you could probably have 20 things. So I'm not saying this is like everything, for sure not. Um, but as, you know, considering it in prayer and asking the Lord, um, you know, I felt and we felt that uh, these were things that he was emphasizing. So what are those things? Who are we as a church? Defining characteristics. Our main priority and all of the other things flow out of this essentially is to be a resting place for the Lord, hosting the presence of God. That's it, right? That's what we aspire to. That's what we want. And in all honesty, every church is called to that. We're called to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. You, he's talking to the church of Corinth, but he, for all intents and purposes, you, the church in Corinth, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit dwells in your midst. You as a people. And he was contrasting Corinth with the pagan temples. There was 26 at the time. 26 pagan temples. You are God's temple. You are the alternative to the other right pagan temples of the world. And you're supposed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says, as a church. And so that's really every church's calling. But we really want that to be at the forefront. Not only because it's biblical, but because um, that's just what we value, right? We want to know what it is and learn how to host the presence of God. A community that highly values worship and prayer. Like, I showed you our history. That's probably not a surprise. We just love worship. We value worship and, and that's what we want. I mean, every church hopefully values worship, but that's something that we just put a high value on that, you know, like I was saying last week, we don't, that's why we don't mind going 45 minutes. And if God's on it, more, even more than an hour if, need, if right, he's on it. Because we just love to worship. That's why we're doing worship nights. We just feel to be a community of worship. And that's just something, you know, that he's placed on our hearts and on our church. Um, a community of people who fully embrace the word and the spirit. Now, I'm going to just restrain myself because I'm going to go in detail in each of these in a minute. But um, So I'll just go through them right now. A place where people come to encounter God. Just like Catch the Fire Toronto, we want to continue stewarding that 
um, facet of what he's graced us as with the movement. <laughs> we want to be a place where people actually come and encounter God. You know, we want to steward that. We want to do what we can to make that possible. Um, a people who live and walk by the Spirit. And I'm going to be going into detail on that. A community of people who are diligently seeking and believing God for more. Because there's always more, right? So what I did last week, I started and I wanted to elaborate on each of these. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to just take a minute on this one because I went over it last week. But it's so important because it's our main priority, which is to be a resting place for the Lord. A temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to be. So... How do we do this is the question I asked last week because I already kind of said some of this stuff. And I, I went over this last week, but there's a key scripture in Isaiah 66, 1 to 2, where God actually tells us how to be his resting place. Okay, and this is it. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. The ones I look on, if this is important. What are they? Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Humility. Humility is the absolute key to being a resting place to the Holy Spirit. Humility. That's why this is such an important characteristic in the New Testament. I went over some scriptures yesterday, or yesterday, last Sunday rather, talking as a community how we do this, how we steward that culture. But one I just wanted to say, because this one's so important, it's mentioned in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5. It's actually quoting Proverbs 3, 34. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. How many of you want grace? <laughs> yeah. Right? God resists the proud. And that's the thing that is so scary, okay? Because pride is like one, the number one killer, I think. You know why? Because the religious spirit is the number one killer of every single revival and spirit movement all the way back to Jesus, the religious spirit. That's why Jesus had such an issue with the Pharisees, the religious spirit, always the Antichrist spirit really, always trying to kill the work of Christ, Think about anti-Christ, anti-anointed one, anti-anointing, anti-Holy Spirit. Why am I saying that? Because we don't want to get prideful. And that's something I want to really, really hammer on. Because it's one thing to be um, stoked about who we are as a church and as a movement, like in a good way. Not like prideful, but yeah, we, this is who we are, right? This is who we are. We are Catch the Fire, right? We just, we just love intimacy with God. We love these things. We love worship. But that's not, it's, if it ever gets into, ooh, we're Catch the Fire, that is awful. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is awful, and we cannot go there. That's just bad. And you see that. How many of you, I don't even want to ask that, but you've probably been in churches where that is there, and it's so stale and religious. Ooh, we're such and such church. Whew. It's awful. Why? Religious spirit works off of pride and fear. So if he can get you proud about even good things, like how much you pray or how, how much you fast, if he can get you proud of even these good things, he uses that as a tactic because he knows 
If he can get you proud, God's going to resist you. God himself will resist you if you get proud of these things. They're even good and biblical. We got to watch out for pride like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> but on the other hand, on the positive side of things, he gives grace to the humble. Right? So that's a key. That's a key. We're talking about how do you host the presence of God being a community that are humble and contrite and tremble at his word. God's attracted to that. And pride repels the Holy Spirit. And I gave you a couple of scriptures last week, Philippians 2, 1 through 13, Ephesians 4, especially 1 to 3, 29 to 32, that says, be humble, love each other, all the things that are good. And then he actually says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How do you grieve him? By talking trash about each other, by bitterness, unforgiveness, all this stuff. Pride. So, because I went over that last week, I'm going to move on. Thanks, Jennifer. I have a few messages. I actually talked about humility last year. The mantle of humility, if you're interested. And then the next one is, uh, what's the next one, Jennifer? <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer, for doing PowerPoint. She is amazing. Humility, the key to understanding truth. So if you're interested in hearing more on humility. And can you go to the next one? Um, yes, this is an amazing book. How many of you have heard of this book? Great. Culture of Honor. Sustaining a Supernatural Environment. <laughs> this book is great. I, you know, um, Brian, we got to get this book in the bookstore. When I went to Bethel, we I kind of alluded to this earlier. Trish and I, uh, that's where we got married, actually. But I was a student there, and the Holy Spirit told me to go there for like two and a half years before I went. Like he said, once you get your degree, go there. And so I did. And didn't really understand why. Uh, just it didn't make sense in the natural, even though I was pretty excited. And I went there. When I went there, I got it. I mean, I understood. How many of you have been to Bethel in Redding, California? Okay, cool. You, there's something in, un, intangible there. And all, honestly, what impressed me the most, there's a few things, but one of the things is their culture. <laughs> something that's intangible. You can't really put words to it, but their culture of honor. And what impressed me is they got thousands, literally, of students and people coming there from all over the world. They had like, when I was there, 2,000 students, half of them from international from every denomination, every country. How do they sustain this culture was my question. This is impressive. This is impressive. What I love about this book, it's Danny Silk from Bethel, and he talks all about that. And it's really practical, and it's great. And, and I'm, I'm talking about that in this context of a culture of humility, because if it was up to me, and it isn't, I would have probably named this book A Culture of Grace because honor has certain connotations, but it is really biblical. Jesus says, right, you honor a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. That's what it's based off of. But it's really the stewarding a culture of grace um, and what that looks like as a new covenant, and it's great. Anyway, I'm going to move on. So the second thing, so I talked about last week, the second thing I wanted to mention is a community that highly values worship and prayer. Now, I, I mentioned this a little bit, but worship is a major emphasis of our congregation and is a big part of our DNA as a movement. Both past, I already talked about back to the Jesus movement, and present. Catch the Fire highly values worship, and that's just a part of who we are. And this really flows out of our value, the one I just talked about, about being a resting place for the Lord. This is a good, Psalm 22, 3, but you are holy, you, O oh, you that inhabit the praises of Israel, basically the praises of your people. God himself inhabits the praises of his people. So we want to make it our priority to be extravagant worshipers. Right? It's a, our church, we just, that's what we value. That's something that is so important to us. We want to be extravagant worshipers. I'm not talking about the people up front. I'm talking about all of us. 
right? I'm talking about a lifestyle of worship, doing it even in our own time in the secret place, worshiping the Lord, just coming in here with overflow, right? And you guys are all worshipers, so I'm preaching to the choir here. But uh, just wanted to give you a couple scriptures on this. Ephesians 5, 17 to 20. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is the will of God. <laughs> what, what's the will of God? Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's God's will. Often people don't go on. But then the question is, how? It's interesting, but Paul actually answers. It's the same sentence. He, this is how you be filled. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's actually how you be filled with the Spirit, one of the ways. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. It's a heart posture. Sing and make music from your heart. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, talking about how to be a resting place, how many of you, I mean, uh, during worship, right, do you feel the, I don't want to raise your hands in case some of you are like, no. But most, a lot of us would say, yeah, we really feel the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit in worship. Why? Worship, God inhabits the praises of the people, but that's the key to being filled with the Spirit is singing songs, worshiping the Lord from your heart, singing songs in the Spirit. And so how do we be a resting place to the Lord? Worship is a huge key, and that's why we value it so much. Okay? So, now, I mentioned that our Catch the Fire world leaders got together, and they came up with those three things as a movement that the Spirit's saying, right? Prophetic, worship, church, planting. They actually got it from this scripture. They said, this is the scripture we felt the Lord was speaking to us from. Acts 13, thir- uh, 1-3. And I'm just going to read it. Now, at the church of, at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, a bunch of people. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, because right in that context, the Holy Spirit comes the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, remember time of worship and prayer, they placed their hands and sent them off. Prophetic, right, the prophets hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, worshiping and sending off, they took from that church planning because that's basically what Paul and Barnabas did. But you can see the point is worship, right? The Holy Spirit speaks during worship. It's in that context. And if you look at the book of Acts, actually, it's usually during prayer. When Peter fell in a trance, it was when he was praying. When Paul fell in a trance later in Acts as well, he's praying. It's while you're praying, the Holy Spirit speaks to you, right? Go figure. But anyway, if you want to hear more on that, worship, because I'm trying to move on, like um, get everything in. A message I spoke, uh, the key of David, a man after God's own heart. And that was one of the keys of David, wasn't he? He was an extravagant worshiper. Come on, he wrote the Psalms. And if you remember from Ephesians 5, Psalms, singing Psalms is one of the ways to be filled with the Spirit. That's how cool Psalms are. But anyway, uh, if you want to download that, I post these on Facebook, uh, the, the notes. And also, um, if you email us, or I, that was Joyful Tidings, or if you go online, ctfottawa.com, or um, iTunes, you can get all this old stuff. So anyway, I don't remember if I said all that. Here, what, uh, number three. Who are we? Now, this is important. I want to spend a little more time on this one because this one is so important in my opinion. All of them are, but a community of people who fully embrace the word and the spirit, okay? The word and the spirit. Now, this is important 
to every single church movement. Historically, church movements, when I say that, like any, any denom- now would be a denomination, started as a Holy Spirit movement. Okay, and, and historically speaking, church movements have had the biggest struggle with these dichotomies. They're, and they're not, it's actually more of a continuum. They're not really dichotomies, but um, reconciling the word and the spirit continuum, the head and the heart, reason and experience, organization versus organism. And I'm going to go in a little more detail on that if you're like, what are you talking about? But this goes back, look at the Bible. I mean, this is an issue in Galatians. Their issue is a little different, talking about getting under law. But look at what Paul says to them. Galatians 3, 3 to 4. Are you so foolish? And that's a nice word for what Paul actually says. After beginning, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? By your own strength? By your works? How foolish are you? Paul's saying. Right? Have you experienced, he's talking about experiencing the Holy Spirit. Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? Are you so foolish? I don't even want to ask, but we know. It's a historical fact. Almost every movement this happens to. I already talked about this with the religious spirit gets in. We got to watch out for this big time. Okay? As a movement, as a church. Every, every church, not just us, but every church. We, beginning in the spirit, don't want to f- try and finish in the flesh, right? <laughs> Awful. Ugh. But how many churches do that, right? Going, uh, resorting to human tactics and, and just weird stuff. No way. We want to be a spirit church. A spirit church. But beginning in the spirit, finishing in the spirit. Okay? So this is not only a historical problem with the church. It's Paul church. Anyway. Throughout church history, you can see how the Holy Spirit initiates a renewal or revival. And then in order to enhance the life of the organism, organizations built to sustain it. The wineskin, so to speak, to hold the wine. And that's good. You know, you need that wineskin. You need to be able to steward what the Holy Spirit's doing. So it's not a bad thing. You need both. <laughs> um, organization isn't a bad thing. You know, we need it. God was really, God's pretty organized, believe it or not. By embracing the word and the spirit, a biblical balance is achieved and the movement or church or whatever is well on the cutting edge and able to survive. And then I have this little illustration here of a continuum. So on one hand, you got high tent, weird cultism, whatever, experiential, spontaneous heart. That's often where movements begin, right? Spontaneous, the Holy Spirit does something and it's, you know, of the heart, experiential reality, and it's awesome. Um, and then, right, you... you, you you have the radical middle. On the other side, you have reason, organized head, right, trying to uh, understand it biblically and all that stuff. Um, And then on the other end of the continuum is low tension, that's dead orthodoxy, which often happens with revival spirit movements and that sort of thing. In fact, if I remember right, um, John Wimber, it wasn't even a prophecy, it's based off of if off of research, sociological research, he basically knew. He said after 20 years, every spirit movement in history, I don't know if every, but most of them um, don't go past 20 years in the spirit, right? And they become a denomination and whatever. So it's, it's interesting he said that, right? And, and so we don't, we're what, 22, no, three years this year as a movement don't want to go there. The unique thing about Toronto, this is really neat. I heard Rick Joyner talk about this. He, he, uh, you guys know Rick Joyner, Morningstar? Anyway, if you haven't looked him up, he's pretty cool. 
he said that he, because he studies revival history, he's a really into history, and he said every single revival in history, the church ended off worse after the revival happened than when it started. Meaning, like, if there was a church after the revival, it was dev- usually, devastated is a strong word, but the church itself that hosted the revival was worse off. And he said the one exception is Toronto. The one exception, the church in Toronto is actually better off after the revival than it was before, right? Um, and so <clears throat> we want to keep being the exception and not repeat revival history and reject the next move and become a state, right? No way. Um, so this is why I talk about this kind of stuff a lot to just make us aware. No, it's important to be aware of so that we, that we don't end up in the uh, tragic route of uh, past revivals and stuff. Anyway, church movements are fluid, starting off the spirit side of the continuum as people crave experiential reality. And that's a good thing. They move toward the word side as they seek to ground their experience in biblical objectivity, right? So when the renewal was happening, you guys might have read some of the, you know, people saying, oh, look in the Bible. This is actually uh, biblical. And, you know, look at Acts chapter 2 and whatever, Ephesians 5.18 and, you know, joy of the Lord and all this stuff. It's just God's just renewing that truth that was lost somehow. But anyway, with the passage of time, the radical middle becomes hard to sustain because it's a place of tension. It is. It's a place of tension, and you have to hold both in tension, both truths. And this is an important part uh, of a lot of biblical truths, which I'm going to talk about in a couple minutes. But anyway, Satan's strategy is to pull a person or a church or a movement away from the radical middle toward one pull or the other. So he tries to pit the word against the spirit, for example, or reason against experience, or organization versus organism, and so on and so on. These are false dichotomies. The word and the spirit go together. Like, you need both. You right, fully embrace both, but he tries to pit them against each other. You see this with church history and revivals, right? And then he tries to pit. So then it becomes all word, all word, right? And then where did the Holy Spirit go in a lot of cases? The forces of evil push the new movement or person either away from biblical doctrine or away from spirit-led spontaneity toward dead orthodoxy and institutionalization. Groups throughout history have tended toward one pole or the other. However, the word and the spirit are not mutually exclusive. We need to embrace both fully. Not one to the exclusion of the other or whatever. 100% word, 100% spirit. Okay? As a congregation, we want to be true disciples of Jesus and to help others become disciples of Jesus by teaching them to obey everything I, Jesus, have commanded you, which is Matthew 20, 19, the Great Commission. He never, ever, 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 ever said to make converts. He said to make disciples of all nations. Discipleship is totally different. Okay? We are not called to make converts. We're called to make kingdom disciples. And this is how. He said, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. A lot of people think he's just talking about moral ethics, and that's part of it, a big part of it. But look at he commanded, this is part of the commands he made to the disciples. Matthew 10, 7 to 8, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Word and spirit. That's true discipleship. Not just word, not just theory, word, spirit, doing the stuff. And, and like I said earlier, John Wimber really revolutionized people the world with this. Hearers and doers, not just hearers. 
The kingdom, true kingdom discipleship includes proclamation, the message of the kingdom, and demonstration of the kingdom, word and spirit. The Bible shows us, and I'm going to show you some scripture on this in case you're like, what are you talking about? The Bible shows us that the disciples' spirit-empowered word was regularly accompanied by spirit-empowered miracles as well. And you look at the Great Commission in Mark 16, 20, it says that explicitly, that they went around preaching the kingdom and God confirmed the message with signs following. And the signs were supernatural signs, healing, tongues, all that stuff. Anyway, I'm going to go fast over these just to show you this is biblical. Look at how Paul the Apostle defines the full gospel. The full gospel, the full message of the gospel. It says Romans 15, 17 to 19. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. <laughs> okay. For some, for some reason it's usually what I've said. <laughs> right? We th- uh, anyway. It's not just said. It's said and done. Then he goes on. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Lyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Fully. We've been preaching a partial message. I mean, when I say we, I say, I'm talking about the church as a whole because we've only given word, 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 word. What about the demonstration of the Spirit's power? That is the full gospel. That is the full gospel. In fact, you've heard full gospel. My guess is they got that from probably from this scripture here. But that's not an isolated, in case you're, you're skeptical, that's not an isolated scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. This is Paul talking. My message, this is interesting, this is, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but what? With a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Why? You can't argue with an encounter of, with God. You can't. In fact, if I had time, Galatians 3, 1 through 5, that's the whole argument Paul uses. He's rebuking them for going into works of the flesh into the law. You just look it up, Galatians 3, 1 to 5. I actually gave two of the verses from there. He says, who's bewitched you? After beginning in the spirit, are you trying to now finish by means of the flesh? He appeals to their experience of the spirit. How many of you have ever heard anybody in churches these days appeal to people to make an argument to appeal to their because he knew he had them right there. They couldn't argue that. Yeah, you're right. We experienced a lot in the Spirit. We can't argue with that. So that's what Paul goes to, their experience of the Spirit. Okay? Because why? If I convince you, say, just, uh, say, say I make a pretty good argument, and you're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I believe in Jesus now. Then some atheist who's better at persuasion than me goes and argues against me, and then what? Right? If that per- all they have to do is be better at persuasion, and then they'll convince them that it's not true. But say the person gets super rocked with a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit, can't argue. How many of you? <laughs> this makes me laugh. Hey, tongues aren't for today. Too late, buddy. You know, <laughs> it's like. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you speak in tongues, that's just an example. You know what I'm saying? That's an example. It's like uh, it's too late. Right? It's, it's, like, it's like swimming in the river and the river doesn't exist. It's like, what are you talking about? You can't, you can't argue with an encounter. 
So this is what Paul's saying, so that their faith wouldn't rest on human wisdom, on my ability to persuade you, but on God's power. And that's why it's so important, so important, that we get back to biblical Christianity and proclaim the full gospel of Christ, okay? Now, if you're still skeptical, here's another, <laughs> another verse, 1 Corinthians 4, 19 to 20. This is Paul talking again. But I'll come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, by, but what? By what power they have. Why? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Not talk. See how backwards we got it? Now, talk's important. Look at what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I'm talking. You know, like, how are people going to know the truth unless the preacher comes and preaches the gospel to them, right? You need word and spirit. That's my whole point. You need both, okay? Now, if you're not convinced by that, I got another one. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 to 5. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, talking about their salvation, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Not simply words. Biblical Christianity, the full gospel, something to consider. We need to embrace the biblical mandate to spread the gospel, not simply with words. This is how Paul did it. This is how the disciples did it, not simply with words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Power encounters. That was Wimber's big revelation, power evangelism, because he was a church growth expert for years. Conservative evangelical church growth expert taught at Fuller Seminary, traveled the world teaching church growth principles. Then he read the Bible and said, wait a minute. Every single time there's salvations in the Bible, it's because there's a demonstration of miracles, signs, and wonders. Every time, not just once or twice, every time when people were saved, Right? Healing, thousands of people saved. <laughs> That's why Jesus said, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead. Preach and demonstrate evidence, kingdom. And that's part of our DNA. I mean, I'm talking about historically both. And that's what I let Wimber, radical middle. He had conservative evangelical theology. He used to say, take the best from both. Traditional evangelicalism in terms of theology, the best of Pentecostalism, the radical middle. This is a major part of our DNA of Catch the Fire, especially power encounters. Come on, how many of you have been to Toronto Airport? How many of you have had, yeah. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that because we probably all have our own stories and it's awesome and we love that and that's part of who we are and we want to continue that. We want to continue that. So we want to be a people who fully embrace the whole counsel of God too. You know the sad thing is Pentecostalism has a bad stereotype that they're really ignorant of like biblical theology. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like there's this anti-intellectualism that's almost prideful. Like, yeah, oh, you biblical scholars. We got, right? It's so, it's so silly. Both, people. <laughs> Both. Because what happens is you, you experience the spirit. And you're like, this is what it's about. And it is what it's about. But you want to be grounded in the word because people can get weird. Believe it or not, people get weird. And they get into weird, totally weird, uh, unbiblical areas. And that's bad news. And we don't want to go there. Okay, we don't want to go there. And I'm talking the whole counsel of God. One thing that's so sad is that Jesus will move in a revival or whatever you want to call it, and there will be a, a truth, a truth that's like maybe was lost historically, and he's reemphasizing it like 
joy and all that in the, in the 90s, for instance, or power encounters, or whatever. The love of God. Then what happens if you don't ground, if you don't embrace the whole counsel of God, you can get off track. Because people get into bad theology and say, God is so loving. You probably heard it. He doesn't judge anymore. God's so loving, hell doesn't exist, everyone's going to get saved. And then you show them clear scriptures from the Bible. Look at this, like 20 scriptures that totally contradict what you say, and they somehow do some crazy mental arithmetic trying to rationalize it away. Getting into unscriptural, unbiblical territory because of human rationalism. That's why we need both. We need to be grounded in both. And this is part of um, our priority, being a resting place for God. Look at what he, back to Isaiah 66, 1 to 2. Where will my resting place be? These are the ones that look on favor. Those who are humble and contrite and what? Tremble at my word. Yes. Yeah, if you guys were here for a while, you remember last year, I preached some hard, <laughs> some challenging messages, right? That's why I want us to be grounded in the Bible. I don't want to get into the latest thing of, that's not grounded in Scripture if it's not. We want to be those who God says, hey, I, they tremble my word. I'm going to go hang out with them. And I love Acts. Um, this is just, I wanted to read the whole thing, but because of time, I just got, uh, I'd encourage you, Acts 20, 20 to 32, but I just got glimpses here to make a point. This is Paul. He was with the church of Ephesus for three years. It's kind of a sad story. He's like leaving the church and he's like, you know what? Everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit's telling me I'm going to die. <laughs> you know? It's like, and they're all weeping like, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. It's like so sad. This is like his last words to them. You know, the church at Ephesus. Okay. So verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house, dot, dot, dot. Now I know that none of you among you have gone or whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom. That's why we're in this series. I have a pause button on right now. But that was their message, the message of the kingdom. Preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. Why? For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. In brackets, I have counsel, because the King James says counsel, but the whole counsel of God. And he talks about, he talks about repentance he talks about these things you don't hear uh, much these days. But fast forwarding to verse 28. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember, look at this. For three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night. Warning them. You know? Warning them in tears, day and night for three years that this is going to happen. And that's why he said, I preach the whole counsel of God to you. So, like, your blood's off my hands. Warning is part of it. Warning is part of it. It's not all, like, sugar-coated. Just read the gospel. It's not, you know, that's what he's saying. And so he said, I never stop warning you each day and night with tears. Now I commit to you to God and to the whole word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. This, yeah, I don't want to talk about the grace message, but the, the full counsel of God, repentance, all the stuff he actually talks about that I didn't go over. But anyway, part of the, now I want to say this. What time is it? Part of the difficulty that we have 
in embracing the whole counsel of God is that there's often paradox in Scripture. I'm staying on this for a reason, because this is important. There's paradox in Scripture, and the problem is, without the Holy Spirit helping us, the tendency is to rationalize away scriptural truth that doesn't conform to our understanding or make sense to us, or that we don't like. Okay? So this is why we need to fully embrace the Spirit and the Word, both. Now, I'm going to give you some examples to show you what I mean. And I'm talking about the radical middle now, the path of life, okay? The perfect balance between biblical truth's intention, the radical middle. And there's a whole bunch of these in, in Scripture. Biblical truth is found in the radical middle, holding propositions like these in tension. I'm going to give you a bunch of examples. There's more than this. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. My goodness, centuries of people still arguing about that one. Now, you guys will know this well because we're in this series. The kingdom of God is already here. The kingdom of God is not yet. Scholars arguing for centuries over that one. Being of the world, being not of the world. Standing for unity, standing for truth, which sometimes creates division. Saved by faith, not by works. Faith without works is dead. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility. Head, word, reason, head, spirit, experience. We talked about that one. Organization, wineskins, organism, wine. Evangelism, nurture. Will of God is a specific calling. Will of God is a general calling. Right? You're all called preach the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, all that. But there's a specific calling on each one of your lives too. Being natural, being supernatural, planning, being spirit-led, everything goes, all gifts of the spirit, decently in order. Just some. Now, how do we navigate this paradox? That's the thing. The problem is people tend to choose one over the other. And they're like, yeah, I like, I like this one better. I, like, I don't like decency in order. I like everything goes. You know? <laughs> so then you show them the scripture. This is a bad example. You show them the scripture decent in order, and then they rationalize it away. Or whatever. Okay? So, so how do you navigate this? We come to understand scripture and know God's will through relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's why relation with the Holy Spirit is so crucial. Oh, I can't wait to preach on this more. So crucial. The not defining characteristic of the new covenant. In fact, Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says the new covenant of the Spirit. He defines the new covenant as a covenant of the Spirit, not of the letter that kills. The Spirit that gives life. The whole New Testament, the whole New Covenant is about the covenant of the Spirit. And you guys, if you've been here, know I talked about the one defining characteristic that was going to mark the division of the ages. The, the, uh, this age and the age to come is the coming of the Spirit. And that's why in Acts chapter 2, they quoted Joel 2.28 because that was a messianic kingdom of God mess, uh, expectation, eschatological expectation. When the Spirit comes, the kingdom of God is here. And that's why they're so important when John the Baptist said, he's going to come baptizing the Holy Spirit in power because that was the one thing they knew. That meant the kingdom of God is here. We are all about the Spirit in the new covenant. And Satan, 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 I guarantee you, is the reason why the Holy Spirit is basically neglected. Historically. Since essentially the second century. Why? Because it's all about the Holy It really is. We've become binitarian. Father, Jesus, no problem. Talk about all of them you want. Talk about the Holy Spirit. Ooh, that's weird stuff. It's a sad tragedy. So sad. He's God. <laughs> He's God. It's, it makes some people uncomfortable for some reason. I don't know why. Anyway, we'll get into that some other day. Um, now, like I said, the danger of not holding that tension, intention is that we 
the path of life, we always talk about how there's, if there's one mile of path, there's two ditches on either side. And if you go too far on one side, you get in a ditch. Go too far on the other, you get in a ditch, right? We talked about like legalism and lawlessness, for instance. The path of life is by the Spirit. God, I believe, has these tensions. People call them contradictions. I don't. I believe it's totally intentional in Scripture because we're no longer under law. We're under relationship. And it's awesome. I love this quote by John Bevere. If you believe in the gospel what you like and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe but yourself. (laughs) Isn't that the truth, right? So we don't want to reject anything that's scriptural, right? So how do we embrace the whole counsel of God, the whole word of God? Get to know the Holy Spirit. It's all by intimacy, and that's a huge value in Catch the Fire. He leads us into all truth. He's the spirit of truth, John 16, 13. He teaches us all things, 1 John 2, 27. He takes all that belongs to Jesus and makes it known to us, John 16, 15. And here, if you want to hear more, there's one, understanding God's empowering presence I preached last year and how to know the will of God by the spirit. Okay, I'm going to quickly wrap up with the next three. I'm going to just go speedy because I want to get through this today. Who are we? A place where people come to encounter God. Kind of goes without saying. But our movement, one of the distinctives of Catch the Fire is that our movement was birthed in revival, right? Millions of lives from all over the world were changed. Radical encounters of God. We don't want to, we want to, we want to continue that, right? We want to continue that. That's, that's part of who we are. It's a major part of who we are. We don't want to lose that somehow because that's really who we are. So in keeping with our roots, our church, Catch the Fire Ottawa, aims to be a place where people come, have powerful, life-changing encounters with the Holy Spirit. How? I basically said all these things we talked about, being a resting place for the Lord, extravagant worshipers, embracing the word and the spirit, and the next things we're going to talk about. It's all about, if you can establish the context and a culture that the Holy Spirit likes, he's going to come, and it's going to be awesome. We can't just take for granted and be like, we're catching the fire, so the Holy Spirit's going to come. We have to do what he likes, right, and invite him to come, and, and then he'll come. So, I preached this message last, if you want to hear more on that, with spirit outreach, go for it. Who are we? A people who live and walk by the Spirit. Now, I already kind of talked about this, but I want to say this. If you're like, oh my goodness, Holy Spirit, what? This is one of the primary imperatives of Paul, the apostle. Walk by the Spirit. Look at Galatians. The whole Galatians 5, 13 through 6, 10, in fact. But here's just three scriptures I want to emphasize. Paul's saying, okay, so how do you stay out of legalism? He, he basically goes through that, the whole book of Galatians. And then in chapter 5, he says, okay, but look, you can't go in lawlessness either. Legalism on one side, lawlessness on the other. How do you stay on the path of life? The Holy Spirit. That's what he says here, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law, right? Talking about legalism and lawlessness. The key is the Spirit. 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And you know, I didn't go over this, but verse 19, the fruit of the Spirit Right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The characters of, characteristics of God. You know why I say this is a primary imperative of Paul? Because he says earlier in that chapter, he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Who produces love in you? Then he goes on. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And in fact, faithfulness. That's the same word. The Holy Spirit produces both of those in you. And in fact, most of the fruit of the Spirit are 
characteristics, adjectives that are used to describe God in various parts of the New Testament. We'll get to that another day. The Spirit is key for everything in the New Covenant, I'm telling you. Jesus, of course, is too, and so is the Father. But I'm saying, I'm saying this for, anyway, Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit are what? The children of God. The ones who are led by the Spirit. So important. Okay, how do we live by the Spirit? Just quick, we learn to live by the Spirit through intimacy with God and learning to hear God's voice, the I value we have. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Okay, Jennifer, I'm going to fast forward. Hear God's voice. Uh, just the, if you want more on that, how to hear God's voice and be led by the Spirit, I preached last summer, and living according to the Spirit as well. Okay, last but not least. <laughs> We, who are we? A community of people who are diligently seeking and believing God for more. There's always more. God is infinite, inexhaustible. There's always more to know of him. There's always more to experience. And Paul, in fact, prays that, that you would be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. What does that look like? Paul, that's amazing. There's always more. The fullness of God is apparently not even impossible. Because right after he says, now to him who's able to do measure beyond all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. And then, uh, I'm tripping over my words. There's even more than that, in other words. Because if we can imagine it, there's more. There's always more. No matter how much we've experienced, Keshefire, Ottawa is a place that attracts people who want more in their relationship with God. Just like Keshefire, Toronto. When we have special events, our attendance usually doubles because people come from the Ottawa region and beyond because they want more. And then they want to take it back to their church, right? That's just part of our DNA. Who God's called Catch the Fire to be. So we're called to be people who are seeking God for more so we can give it away to others. Disciples, that's, our, that's discipleship. We can't give to others what we haven't ourselves. So it's important for us to steward that. That we're called to be a people who are diligently seeking more. God says in Hebrews 11.6 that he's Faith is impo it's impossible to please God without faith because you must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we have to believe he's going to reward us for that. It's important, part of faith. Okay, so part of our DNA as a church and a movement is to minister to others in the body of Christ from other churches and denominations. This goes all the way back to Wimber. The vineyard uh, totally influenced churches, that people from Anglican church all over the... Different denominations would go to vineyard conferences in the 80s, get impartation, receive, take it back to their churches all over the world in every denomination. Same, and that grace is on Catch the Fire Toronto, too. That's why millions from all the world, every church came, got uh, impacted, went back. That's what happens when we have special events, too. People from all over come to take it back. And that's part of how we're called to build the kingdom is Catch the Fire. So one way that we're called to advance this kingdom, blessed people come to receive, get touched, equip, take it back to the church and denomination. That's why we're always uh, embracing, for instance, special weekends where we equip people, right? So that's a regular part of what we want to do, have like prophetic training. Mark Verkler, I mentioned, um, to, for this very reason, as a part of who we are and what we're called to do. How do we seek God for more? I've said this before and I'll say it again. We're called to be spirit-sensitive not seeker-sensitive, our church. We are, <laughs> you guys are all here, so you know, we're not a seeker-sensitive church. You know what I mean? And that's fine. Some are called to be that. You know, I'm not, it's just, we are not. Like, you know, we're, we are, we just want the Holy Spirit to come. It might look weird. It does sometimes. Last week, 
Last week we had a party till almost 7 p.m. after the Holy Spirit came and wine of the Spirit. It was awesome. As, you know, it looks weird. So that's not seeker-sensitive in the traditional sense or seeker-friendly. We're spirit-friendly. That's who we are. Okay, that's who we are. So we must always, what's that mean? We must always be open to what the God wants and fully embrace it, even if it looks weird to the natural mind. We must raise our expectations and believe God to move in our midst in ways that we've not yet experienced. And here's a message if you're interested, raising our expectations on that very thing. So I'm wrapping up here. What should we do in light of all this? I want to ask you a question and then answer it with a quote. What would church look like if we built the church to attract the Lord instead of just trying to attract people? Oh, yes, that is a question we always have to ask and what we should be asking. And like I said, all of these things I just went over, that's the, how do we be a resting place for the Lord? You know, that's what we're called to. This is a quote from Rick Joyner. If we spent more time trying to get the Lord to come to our meetings than we did trying to get people to come, we would have more people than we can handle. Toronto's point in case. <laughs> the Lord came. It was crazy, but the Lord came and ugh, millions of people within a few years came, got rocked in Toronto. They came to Toronto, right? That's what we're, we want is what what would, you know, if we're trying just to attract the Lord, there's our main priority and that is our main priority. And that's what we want. Okay, so here's everything I talked about. Um, resting place for the Lord, community that highly veils worship and prayer, fully embrace the word and the spirit, people come to encounter God, people who live and walk by the spirit, community people are diligently seeking, believing God for more. And that's why our theme, our theme like really ultimately, but for 2017, the presence-driven life. We want to be a, a presence-driven people, a presence-driven church, a presence-driven life, a hosting place for the Lord. And we'll talk, elaborate more on that in days to come. And let's end in prayer. <laughs> Thanks for your patience. I went over a little bit. Father, we just thank you so much for who you've called us to be. Oh, Father, that you would come and this would be a resting place for you. That is, you called the church in Corinth to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, that people would come and it'd be a refuge where they would encounter you tangibly and say, God is with you. As an alternative, all these pagan temples in Corinth, that we would be a people who would be truly a temple of your Holy Spirit, that we would learn what it means to be a resting place for you, to be extravagant worshipers, to be a people who fully embrace your word and your spirit. Lord, that you would come in, in ways that we have not yet experienced beyond all we can ask or imagine. <laughs> that your glory would come and fall and that it would just be amazing that we'd be a presence-driven people and learn how to steward that people who live and walk by your spirit. Lord, we just ask that you help us not get into orthodoxy or into cult weirdness, but that we would be radical middle, fully spirit, fully word, even if it looks weird, we want it all. As kingdom children and disciples, God, we want you. And so, Lord, I just ask for revelation, spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that you would come and fill our hearts with your presence and your love and that we would know how to walk this out. 
that we would truly be a resting place for you, that you would come and say, yeah, I love Kestafire, Ottawa, because I get to rest when I go there. <laughs> so, Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and, and just the amazing people you've led to this church and that we get to walk this out together as a family. Help us to fully embrace what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.